Welcome back to part two of the CHROSA podcast, brought to you by Workday, a cloud-based financial management and human capital management software vendor. Um, one thing I'd like you to talk about is the experience you had where you were passed over for a promotion for somebody who looked differently and dressed differently and wore their hair differently, not because they were capable, they got the job because, you know, bluntly they looked agreeable. And basically the CEO of the company literally told you that you would have gotten the job if you looked more like her. Yes. So, and this is also one thing I teach, um, you know, the graduates that I work with, that the hiring managers are human beings who come with their own stereotypes, their own biases when they come into an interview room. So try and remove all of these things that might actually um, on, on your CV, for example, that might lead to you being discriminated against. But the one thing you can't stop is how someone looks at you and then decides that you are either this person or that person. So I had a very, and I'm glad it happened when I was younger, because I think if it had happened now, I would have sued the company and retired. <laughs> I applied for a role where I was actually a successor. I had been groomed within the organization to become successor to my boss at the time. And then my boss left and everybody was sure that, OK, we have a successor that we have actually prepared. Unfortunately, the MD at the time um, had certain expectations of what an HR director should look like and um, I didn't fit the bill. So basically the problem was my hair. My hair is short and it's, it's, it's Afro. It's really 4C. Women know what I am talking about. Uh, but it's that hair that we all know is very difficult to manage, but we love it because this is our hair. So I had this hair. And um, as much as I'm, I'm a feminine, I'm a girly girl. I like nails, makeup, but I don't want to do that every day. It's not a, a mandatory thing. So I do want to walk out into the office and just be me. If I feel like I want to put lipstick that day, I do. If I feel like I don't, I don't. I don't want anyone to prescribe to me what I should look like and what I shouldn't look like. So my boss then told me that, you know what? I cannot falter you on your competence for this job and the suitability. However, I think the organization needs a more feminine HR leader, um, someone that um, is soft, you know, um, who has motherly kind of instincts that people can come to with their problems. And I was like, OK, so am I now expected to be what a therapist for people here or am I supposed to be a leader sitting on the executive team? Literally cried for two weeks, a couple of bottles of Jameson, you know, down the route. I still drank that stuff then and um, then said, all right, OK, so I didn't get the job, but it has nothing to do with my capabilities. I will just continue doing what I do. The next um, seven or eight months were very interesting because a person that was a total opposite of me um, with long nails, always, uh, you know, makeup on fleek, as uh, the uh, Instagram people say, really beautiful person with a, a long hair, a weave that was always straightened and, 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 you know, lashes. She really looked beautiful and gorgeous. Right. And now, OK, this is what you're getting. But I'm still doing all of the work. I'm still providing the leadership to the team. I'm still preparing your work to present to the leadership team, which was OK. We did it. We pulled through because I said to the team, look, if she doesn't make it, it's us. It's on us. It's, it's a reflection on us. In the end, the person dug her own grave and she was actually asked to leave. 
right? And the day she was asked to leave, I was called into the boardroom. And actually, the MD apologized. I, I, I respect him for that up until today because he said I was wrong. And I seriously apologize. And I'm actually not giving you an option. The job is yours. Because I was young and I had a point to prove, I still took the job. I think I would react differently if it happened now. I wouldn't even be around for the job to be offered to me. I think I would quit and I would uh, make a very, very big noise about it. But at that time, it hurt. Um, I probably was 30, I think. It hurt a lot. And I said, but you can't, I can't change who I am. I can't change. I was actually told I look masculine with the short hair. I look better with long hair because I had joined the company having braids. So I had long braids. Um, and the second thing that was said was Zulu people are very stubborn. And this is feedback given to me, by the way, not something I heard from someone else. Zulu people are very stubborn. I don't think we can have two bulls in one crawl. I'm the MD and I'm the one who's going to run this business. And with your personality, I don't think that it's going to work. That's also another thing I can't change. So I was like, okay, let's see. But I mean, I, I respect him. He later became my biggest sponsor in the company and helped me a lot with a lot of challenges. We still keep in contact to this day. So I hold nothing against him. I, I think I actually respect him a lot for how he managed that situation after he had made his mistake and learned from it. And it helped me also grow as a leader. You, you, you. Uh, look, uh, you are definitely a much better person than I am. I don't know how I would react if even a family member of mine was treated that way. So kudos to you for really being the bigger person in that situation. Yeah, man, uh, you know, as I reflect on uh, all the things you've been saying, I'm thinking about all the people who aren't as strong-willed and outspoken as you are. There are so many people that get bullied in um, corporate South Africa. Even the most senior of executives are victim to bullies, for lack of a better word. And um, I'm wondering, you know, how people who don't have the same characteristics as you do are supposed to manage these kinds of toxic environments. Or not necessarily toxic, but just not um, accepting of us as um, black people and the way we are approaching the work environment? So, I mean, I'm not saying everybody should do this um, or should do what I do, but I'll tell you about what I do. One of the things I was criticized for in my last company by one of the expatriate MDs that came, he said to me, sometimes you must stop, you know, standing up for uh, women so much, you know, you must stand up for everyone. <laughs> I think people they can tell you I stood up for the young people that came into the organization. I think at some point they were quite well paid because I knew what the industry benchmark is and we are not going to pay them anything less because the company can afford to do the right thing. I stood up for black people when they were being mistreated and I could see that this is blatant discrimination. It's, it's racially based. I stood up for women in general, whether they were black or white or Indian or colored. If I could see that this is discrimination and it wouldn't be done this way if it was a man, I spoke up. I'm not saying I was always right because sometimes when you feel passionately about something, your judgment will get clouded, but I would rather I get called out on my judgment being clouded and I reflect and I see that, okay, maybe here I went in a little bit too hard, then keep quiet when injustices are being visited upon people that can't speak for themselves. 
So I think what I have always believed is that my role as an HR director is to create an environment that is conducive to people being at their best, performing at their best. When we say we want to unleash people's potentials, how do you do that in an environment that is toxic? And as an HR person, I can see that and I keep quiet. So if I know of something... And if it's line management that is wrong, I think that's one thing I'm known for. I will say we are wrong here as management and we need to work this way and we need to find a solution and fix it. And I will also not hide that to the employees that, look, we made a mistake here or we didn't do things the way we were supposed to. Let's come together. Let's find a solution. If it's um, unions or it's employees, I'll also be direct to say, guys, this is not how things work. Can we find a solution in an amicable manner? Um, so I don't believe in keeping quiet if people are being bullied and you can see that they are being bullied because you are right. Not everybody can speak up for themselves. One of the things that keep me very busy in my current job, sometimes to the detriment of the work that I should be doing, you know, submitting reports to people, etc., uh, etc., et is talking to individuals. I do a lot of talking to anyone, any level. If you want to talk to me, you come, you get me for 10 minutes. If I'm busy at that moment, I tell you, please, can you find a slot in my calendar? The soonest available slot, find it. We'll sit down. It doesn't matter who you are. And then you tell me what is the issue. But people that are being victimized, bullied, um, I, I think I would like to hear if anyone feels I ever kept quiet when they were being bullied or victimized. Even when the company has to separate with that individual, because it also happens. I always play open cards with the individual to say, look, the situation is here now and it's not going to be fixed. It's not going to be resolved. And actually, no one's going to come from head office, wherever the head office is, and fire this person. You have a personality clash or whatever the issue is. Can we find a way of how do we actually separate with your dignity intact? And then we try and restore order in the department that you are working in. So even when people have had to leave the organization, I have people that still reach out to me now for references I had a senior manager in my old company when he left. He didn't want to speak to a single person. And he said, I'll only engage with Tabila because of the way she made me feel through this process. I had to leave, but she made me feel like I was a human being and treated me with respect right up until the end. I do it even here. Inside, I can really be thinking, you know, Sungula is really driving me mad right now. Why does he not just leave? But I never want you to walk away feeling like the company didn't care. I didn't care. I represent the company. So if I treat you with dignity and respect, we'll still reach the solution or the conclusion that you must leave. But you walk out thinking, wow, I was really treated well. Even if, yeah, I had to go, but the treatment, I wasn't treated like, you know, a nobody. So this is what I do as an HR professional. And this is the kind of values I try and instill in the teams that I work with to say this is a human being. First and foremost, whilst we need to do what's right for the company, we need to do what's right for this individual. Let's find a solution somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Speaking of treating people as an individual, everybody comes to work with things that they bring from home, right? And as black people, what we bring from home is this pressure of black tax. You know, we have extended family members that we have to take care of. Um, even you, as uh, as a successful black woman in your own right, I'm sure you're dealing with these kind of, I wouldn't say demands on your salary, but that's what it is, right? How do you navigate that terrain? And what advice do you have for professionals that are a bit resentful of having that pressure thrust upon them? So as a firstborn child in my family, um, as 
my family often teases me and they call me Mkabai because nothing happens without me there. I think I had that responsibility from a very young age. My dad was murdered when I was doing my second year at varsity. At that time, they had been on a 10-year separation with my mom. So suddenly... I was the head of this family. I was the one bringing the family together. I've kind of had this. So for me, I'm not saying I don't relate to the concept of black tax. I I see it and I know that people are really struggling with it. Personally, I don't do anything I don't want to do. So for me, it's not tax. I do exactly what I want to do with the money that I work hard for. So if I want to give a cousin or an extended family member 5,000 rand so they can go register, I do that. It's not black tax. If I don't have that money, then I don't have it. So I'm not going to put myself in debt because I want to do this. I have a very close relationship with my brother and the two of us support each other through everything that we do. So if his business is going through a slump and he needs some kind of cash, I actually give it to him without even signing any agreement that you will return it at this time with this amount of interest. But he does exactly the same for me. So in my case, I would say to people, don't do anything you don't want to do. We need to start having those kind of boundaries. If you don't want to do something, don't do it. Secondly, if you know that you have this responsibility, then start planning around the things that you are able to do. Don't put yourself into financial hardship because you feel the obligation towards certain people that might not necessarily be your responsibility. So for me, I have my mom and my my siblings and the children in our immediate family. Those are the people I'm responsible for. Extended family members, I help when I can help. But nobody expects me to fork out money for anything. And I don't want them to ever have that expectation. But I do give. I am naturally giving. So I do give, but I give within my affordability. I first look at what I need in the immediate family. If I've got surpluses, then I help out. If I've got extra money, then I help out. If someone needs a roof over their heads, they welcome at my house to stay until they get on their feet. Those are things that I don't mind doing. But I don't ever do anything that... One is going to create financial problems for me because I'm alone, you know, waking up and going to work and having to deal with all of the drama that we deal with at work. So I don't want to feel that kind of obligation. But I mean, I have a very big family and an extended family where I do contribute. We recently made a plan with my cousins to have some kind of a stock fell that will help us with my maternal grandmother's side of the family because there are people there that don't have an education, that are not working or that are working. But if anything happens to them, nobody will you know, have money. So we said, OK, fine, let's start a fund. So we're all contributing, whatever that you can contribute, because if something happens, a catastrophe, we will dip into that fund. We won't go out and get loans, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the advice that I can give to people. Do what is within your means. Don't put yourself in debt because you are trying to cover this black tax and where you don't want to do something. Let's start having the courage to say, guys, not my responsibility. I will not be able to help, especially for adults that have two hands and two feet and can actually also use their hands to try and make a living. All right. Well, um, let's get some parting shots. Uh, What's on the cards for you in 2020? What are you what are your moves looking like? Wow, <laughs> that's an interesting one. Um, I work for a wonderful organization and I say this not because I'm the HR director, but I say this as an employee. Um, I've been allowed to be myself. I've, 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 I've received a lot of coaching, a lot of support from very senior people. 
they've kind of made me see that, hey, man, I'm actually capable of a lot more than I ever thought I was. Um, the team, just generally the employees here are, are phenomenal people. So the art development's coming. CHRO will be the first to know <laughs> as soon as everything is official. Um, so from that front, yes, the career is looking very, very bright um, in this business. Um, I think one of the things that I would share with the listeners um, of the podcast is that I literally do, I don't do resolutions, right? But I, I, I do, I believe in vision boards. Some people don't, but I do, right? So I have kind of looked at what do I want this year to look like and what do I want the next chapter of my career? I turned 40 last year. What do I want the next kind of 20 years to, to look like? And one of the things I'm investing in this year as an executive coach for myself um, to help me take my career to the next level as um, head of a very big um, geographical you know, region um, and also work on some of the things that I know are weaknesses or are developmental areas for myself as a business leader. I am looking at the whole well-being uh, aspect. So I have a lifestyle coach now and uh, it's a bit hard, but I, but, but, but I want to be there for the kids. I, I really, you know, my dad couldn't come to any of my activities at school. I want to be there for all of their activities. And I'm lucky to work for an organization that allows me to do that. And then finally, the work that I do, I genuinely believe in the, the young people of this country. Um, I think we're not doing enough. And I this year I want to amplify that with some partnerships with other HR directors, other business leaders, other institutions, even CHRO will come knocking just to see, let's put our heads together and let's see what is something meaningful that we can do because I want to leave a legacy. And if I can find people that can help me do that, then let's do it. So a lot of this year is going to be about me from a career growth, from developing myself, honing my skills as a, as a, as a very serious business executive. And then, um, you know, getting that summer body for my next holiday in the Caribbean. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, yes. Thanks, uh, Clebile. That, uh, that's a wrap for the first ever episode of the CHRO South Africa podcast. It's a huge milestone for us, man. Um, Lots more to come. We've just had a fantastic chat with one of the country's top HR leaders who I believe has given you some great food for thought. And there's definitely more to come. So watch this space. Other than that, I'd like to say thank you so much, Tabile, for this opportunity and giving us your time. Thank you very much. Looking forward to um, a great year again. Thank you, Sungula. This episode was brought to you by Workday a cloud-based financial management and human capital management software vendor.